ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, Terra Master, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. GPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology, brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV dampener with better control and handling with an upgraded vane and seal system. Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talk Sandy. Nick Janusa, it's been a long time to get you here. How are you, sir? Oh, it's great. I uh, don't take it the wrong way. I uh, We miss each other a couple of times over email, but I definitely did not forget about you. And I've uh, wanted to come on here for a long time. And I'm finally happy that we um, got on the same time now. And uh, even though we're three hours apart here, it's what is it? Nine o'clock here at six o'clock your time. But um, later actually works better for me. So the timing's right. That's awesome. So. Hey, I want to I want to ask you this really quick and then we can get into talking a little bit more about racing. How's your dad doing? Oh, dad is, uh, you know, looking at it from a positive standpoint. He is he's definitely doing better. Um, He had a pretty severe stroke and he had two strokes in his sleep. You know, this is something that our family never saw coming. He was a respectfully healthy guy. You know, it was due to high blood pressure. Um, he unfortunately lost his vision in his left eye. So he's got, um, he's got his right eye. He could see out of right now and it's not even a hundred percent. And then actually at this point, don't think the vision in the left eye will come back, which changes a lot. I don't think, I mean, he might be able to drive again. That's kind of doctor's call. Um, he's pretty positive on it though. He, he keeps saying in his broken up words, the, the, half that he can speak that he's happy. He at least can see he's like, you know, he feels blessed that he can, he see right now, but you know, from a, from a family standpoint, man, it, it changed everything very overnight. Literally. Um, it puts life into perspective how tomorrow's not promised. And, um, you know, it's tough because we're such a close family and, without him, you know, I, I really don't wish it upon anyone. And we, and we rely on our dad for a lot as the dad of the house. And, uh, it's been a huge, huge, you know, hump to get over. Um, you know, the more the past few weeks have went by and a lot of stuff that I won't talk about, but stuff I've been through in the last two months, 
you know, almost feel like a growing pain. Um, you know, and it, I'm, it's not a good thing to stroke, but it, you know, I always try to take positive out of the situation and sometimes, you know, maybe, I know it sounds crazy, but maybe it's in ways what we needed as a family, maybe like a wake up call, maybe uh, appreciate more for, you know, who we have while they're here. Um, you know, take care, better care of our health, um, become more independent. Um, I think it's been me, like, you know, I have relied on my dad, uh, for a lot of just guidance and, um, you know, getting me to races and with, without it now, you know, he's, I'm lucky he's still here, but I've had to really change up a lot of things and I want to show him I can still race. Um, I do plan on still racing and it's going to be very hard. I think he'll come to a couple of races. Um, someone's going to have to bring him. I don't know if he'll be able to come with me for the five days at a time. Um, but it's definitely going to be different without him. I mean, this is, this is something that my dad and I got into together and I've been to hundreds of races and he may have missed two or three in my career. So this is going to be a tough season. Um, but the growing pain has been, uh, been very tough recently, not just me personally, just as a family, it's, I don't wish it upon anyone. It's very hard to see him go through it. Um, when you have a stroke, your brain swells a lot. When your brain swells, it goes into the skull. And if it gets too big, it can cause brain damage or it can actually kill you. And he had surgery that opens up his skull and they remove a piece of his skull, pretty large piece inside of his head. And they put that skin back over and they staple it up. And that piece is still out of his head right now. It's been over two months and they wait for the brain swelling to go back down. And then they put that same piece back in. They have the piece of his head in a freezer. This is crazy. Piece of his head is in a freezer goes back in in probably a month or so. And then the real recovery starts from there. But, you know, we're teaching him how to read, write again, eat, use utensils. It's sad, but it's, uh, it's bringing our family together in other ways, you know, as negative as it is, I'll always try to find some positive with it. So it's, I appreciate you asking. It's a lot that I just said, but it's, you got to know all of it because it's, there's a lot to it, you know? So. Well, I was uh, really, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's hard because I lost my mom this year. But oh, I'm sorry um, about that. When I got the news, obviously through social media, actually, uh, actually, I was talking to Paul Turner. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I know him well, and that's how I found out. And I was like, wow. Um, you know, and obviously you and I didn't have a, a, a direct communication line at that point, but as soon as I could get one, I wanted to make sure that I reached out to you and, and, uh, knew that the ATV family was, was pulling for you guys. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. Again, it's, it's been tough and, and coming back to races will, will be very tough and without him and I have plans to come back, it's going to be a little bit different way. Um, everything's pretty said and done of how it's going to be, but the least I I can't, you know, I'm 26, I'm not 16. Um, I should be able to figure this out on my own. I want to show him that I can still do this, um, without him and not, not in a, in a, in a, like I can do it without you more like you've gotten this far. I want to show you as your son that, you know, I'm still capable of doing this and I'm not going to throw in the towel 
or end my pro career on something like this. And he would want me to keep going, you know, and I will. So. So let's go back a little bit in history. How did you get started into the racing? Uh, you, you mentioned that you and your dad got into it together. How did that all? Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I definitely, I don't, I have a kind of a basic story, but not really. I mean, I got a quad for Christmas. I got a Lem 50, which <laughs> uh, you obviously remember that. I'm not calling you old at all, but you remember the Lems. Uh, You've been around racing yeah. for a very long time. I, and that's, it's a whole story with that thing. So I got a Lem 50. It was new. It was a blue one. And, um, I got that at two and a half and you know how they have the governors on them. I think my dad said it to be one mile an hour or wherever it may be. And I rode that for years around the house. We lived on like one and a half acres for a long time. And I think I got eventually, I upgraded to the Eton 90. You remember that? Oh yeah. The Eton Viper 90. And, um, I was about eight years old, I think. And, you know, that's when like dirt wheel magazines were before social media, you know, you relied on that for, for the, the update of, uh, the results of the pro racing. Um, you know, you didn't look at it on Instagram or anything live. So we were, we were looking and we found out through, it had to be dirt wheels magazine, some pictures of amateur racing. And my dad, I mean, I was obviously eight years old. I wasn't calling around. My dad was calling around and found out, you know, Raceway Park here in Englishtown, New Jersey had a racetrack and it was a series. And I went there at eight years old. And I mean, we really knew nothing about racing. I mean, this is your regular story of father, son, first race. Didn't know we were getting ourselves into. And I remember this like it was yesterday my quad was completely stock and it was narrow. And I saw all these kids the first day and their quads were like a foot wider than mine. And the, the ATV racing years ago, I look at some of the kids now that race and they got these double a arms. We were, we were single a arms, um, with shocks that were not great, but they were wide setups, you know, like the caster camera was all pretty whack. Um, but their quads were clearly, clearly night and day wider and faster than mine. There's 13 people in the race. And I think I got 11th in the first moto and eighth in the second moto on a totally stock quad. And that was in November. So it was the last race of the season. That one race was enough for my dad at the time. We worked that quad over the winter and I, we met a lot of people at that race and uh, local guys, like local shops and got the different suspension engine work. And I came back the next year, 2005, um, I rode a lot more on a different setup and I was coming back for, um, second and thirds. And I remember, uh, Brent Mara, if you remember him, you ever heard that name? He, I, I'm still friends with him. Brent Mara, his dad owned Wiley mods. He, um, he was really a great racer for a long time, but he beat me every single race that year. I could never beat him. It's funny. Cause we laugh about it now, but I got seconds to him all, all the time. Um, then I started racing district six, 2006, and I was 10, 11. Um, and then WPSA came around. That was 2007. And that was like my fourth year racing. And that was big. We followed the whole tour for that. Um, I ran two classes. I ran a Cobra, then a TRX 90 in the, um, you know, it was all tricked out. It was the 125. 
And uh, skipping ahead, that was that one year where a lot of the racers in 2008 waited for WPSA to come back around. And it didn't happen that year. And the national series was already started. So we already had missed a few of the national races, but we ended up doing the remainder of the nationals, which was like seven or eight left. Um, and they had like an, a new, like a grand slam series for the racers that came in late and 2008. Um, I did a national in 2006. Actually the first national I ever went to ever was, um, and it's crazy to think about this. It's, it's actually pretty sad, but the first race I went to was in Unadilla when Jeremiah Jones had his accident. And that was the first pro race I ever watched. And I remember how sensitive that was after that weekend. It was a tragic, you know, tragic accident. My parents were really scared because that, you know, I'm getting into quad racing and this is a pro guy. And it was very tough um, to move forward. Um, that hit home a lot. Me and my parents questioned a lot of things and I was almost too young to understand it, but, um, back to 2008, um, been doing nationals ever since that year, every year. So amateur racing all the way up to, um, a class in 2012 pro-am 13, 14, 15. Um, I raced pro-am in 15 and pro to 2015 was my pro debut. And I won the pro-am championship in the same year. And I just finished my seventh year in pro class, um, going into my eighth, which is scary. Cause I remember my, I always remember being the youngest in the pro class and now I'm, I'm definitely not. I'm more towards, I'm, I'm not old. I mean, Weenan's 10 years on me, but geez, I'm definitely, there's a lot of people younger than me now in pro class, which is crazy. So <laughs> well, hey, it's yeah. talent. It, it's just times have changed, you know? You know, Dustin Wimmer was really young, winning those championships, really, really young. And then other than him, it was all guys in their late 20s, 30s. And now the kids are what's on fire again, which is it's cool. You know, I, I like to see it. Jeremiah was young. Also. Yeah, I don't know how old he was, to be honest, when he had that. First, his first championship, he was really young. Right. And um, it, it it is not. <clears throat> Joel is young for winning as well. Um, now, it, it, if he wins again, he'll be older and, and rolling into more of the age bracket of the age. Gary Denton was 38 when he retired. Chad Weenan's 37, you know, breaking through on 38. Um, Walker Fowler's 28. You know, he's still young. Um, he's still got a lot of life left in him, you know, as far as race life goes. Um, and Bo Barron on the West Coast is is forty one. Oh yeah, and they're still going strong. So age and age and quad racing or in ATV racing, yeah, it affects you. But it seems like the older guys are so smart. They are. It's just experience. It really is. Yeah, I notice it. You know, I mean, there's right racers that have tons of years on me. But I know certain situations that I get put in that I would have fumbled a long time ago in my first year or two in pro class where things I just handle a lot differently now um, and kind of know what to expect. Um, it's, it's just like anything else, doing your time and having the bad weekends and making the mistakes, having that accident, making the wrong move, because you don't learn off of 
you know, you learn more off problems and you learn more off mistakes. Um, I'm not going to say you don't learn from not winning. I mean, Weenan's won eight in a row, so he, he's still learning. Um, he's, uh, he's an icon in our sport. You know, he's got the bar set really high. So, and he, he's definitely older. Weenan is for, for our class. I mean, he's the oldest guy in there with the most championships and he just won the past year. It's, yeah. It, it's, I mean, to tie Gary Denton's record, you know, of eight titles is, is phenomenal. I mean, I didn't, I did not believe I would see that in my lifetime. Yeah. And I, I think, I think the, you know, so a big thing that a lot of the fans m- misunderstand is they really short the rest of the pro class, like, like we're nothing, but, and this is me crediting Weenan, Um, he really is that good. You know, there is no shortage of talent in that class. He, uh, again, he's got the, he's so far ahead in certain areas and he's so smart. You know, I think an advantage he has for sure. Um, I'm not even going to say his height an advantage he has is his experience from earlier days so far before us racing. Like when I was on a, a 70 in 2007, he was with factory Suzuki and or Cowie Can-Am, whatever it was. He learned a lot and he went through experiences that, um, none of us have, and none of us will ever get because the factories are gone. Um, which I, I do feel like helps him, you know, so when he started Wien and motorsports, he had a great, um, he had a great platform to start with. I'm not taking anything away from him. I mean, eight championships speaks for itself. You know, <laughs> yeah. people can say what they want about him. I mean, yeah, Chad and I might not see eye to eye on a lot of things and we probably will never, but my level of respect for him is so high. And I really, for how much I love this sport, I can't knock someone else for, for being better at it than me that loves it just as much. And that puts um, a lot into it. You know, I, I really do respect him. I look up to him um, in, in the r- racing world a lot. He's, he's got that bar set very high. And I think anyone, he makes it look easy. So. I take it you guys have rubbed Nerf bars a few times. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is racing. I mean, it's, it's, I learned it the hard way, not from him, but in pro class. I mean, this is a very, very aggressive class, extremely aggressive. And when I came in, Joe Bird was still racing. John Natale was still racing and those guys are killers. And it's one of those things that you, you think you understand how aggressive they are, but you really don't until you get out there. Like, You'll, you'll never understand until you're somewhat close to their speed or their speed. And then you're racing with a guy with all this experience. That's not afraid to be in fifth gear and open wheel racing and hit together or jump within six inches of each other going off of something huge. And it taught me a lot. Um, but yeah, as far as Chad and I, we've definitely had our, uh, you know, when we have plenty of racing left to go, but this is pro class. I mean, if he, he bumps me. It is what it is. I bump him. It is what it is. We don't, we don't take it personal. He's experienced enough. This is racing. I think people take it out of context. Um, a lot of the younger racers, I feel like that I've got, you know, aggressive with, and they come crying back to me that I'm the bad guy. And it's like, I don't hate you. 
we're just racing. Like they, they, they think it's like a personal thing off the track and this is me getting back at them. Like, I'll go shake your hand. You know, we could be at the banquet together, you know, have a drink. We'll go you know, party at the banquet, but race season comes around the helmets go on. We're not friends um, like at all. And I learned that through the vet veteran guys that I race with. And that'll F always stick with me and probably, probably get even worse. As I get older. <laughs> you know, Dude, you're racing for a bit. I'm telling you, it's just, it's what it is. Um, it's a very, very, very aggressive class. Like I remember how aggressive Pro-Am was from a class. And that was crazy. The first few races I was in and then seeing pro class versus Pro-Am are two different things. It doesn't get more um, aggressive than what we're in right now. We're in no, we're in an era where there's no shortage of talent at all in the pro class. Um, with very experienced guys that I, you know, I look at Wien and sign two year more deal. Like he's, he's got a lot of years in pro class. He's got a lot of experience. Joel's been in there a really long time. I'm going into my eighth year. You know, a lot of us have been in there for quite a while and everybody gets better and it just gets harder, you know, but it's, it's what makes this sport great. You know? Well, what I've noticed from a distance uh, I don't get to travel back East as much as I used to in the past, but, um, as I've noticed the gaps coming down the oh, yeah, gap from Chad and Joel to third is closing. And I think it's because the quality from third to ninth or 10th place, you guys are pushing each other at a higher level to get better and better and better because that for lack of a better way to say it, that third spot on the podium is, is, is almost like a win. Yeah. I mean, it is, it literally is like a win. You know, what's funny is and I don't know if you picked it up, um, but the third place podium spot this year, there's five guys that got it twice. There's 10 rounds. Rastrelli got two podiums. Max Linquist got two podiums. I got two podiums. Wesley Wolf got two podiums. Bryce Ford got two podiums. That is as even as it gets where you're top like, to your point. It, it, it absolutely feels like a win. And I, I want people to understand how, like, I don't know. Is there another Joel Hetrick out there? I, I think absolutely. It's just, how soon will someone else see it in our sport? Um, he's so advanced, like him, him and Wayne together, their level is so far advanced. I don't know when ATV racing, um, we'll see that again. You know, I don't, anybody behind them right now, I don't think, um, will be as close to really, um, what they are there. They are that good. And I'll tell you, I really, I work my ass off and I've, you know, I, I grabbed a win or, uh, I grabbed a win at the end of the year in stock class. You know, I beat Wayne in a motor moto or two in stock class. I beat Joel a moto or two in stock class. Um, to your point, like the gaps are changing a little bit. Um, uh, you know, I was watching Daytona the other day and I looked like I hung with those guys for about half the race, but even hanging with those guys from half the race, I feel like is a, is a big thing. 
Um, and you look at some of the other races and there was some other races where Bryce Ford or whoever it may have been held their ground for a little bit. You know, you really can only ride a quad so fast. And I feel that Joel and Chad won't get faster to your point. We're going to get faster before they do. And I think, uh, it will come down. You know, we, they've just been in such a dominant era for like eight years or so. And I think you'll see a lot more this year, you know, as, as they get older, um, they could go faster. I mean, Weenan keeps proving everybody wrong. Everyone thinks he's going to get slower and he's not. Um, but eventually, eventually he'll absolutely, uh, scale down a little bit. Same with, uh, same with Joel eventually, even though Joel's a lot younger and you'll see it tighten up. And and that's when ATB racing, I think will be really exciting again. I mean, everyone says to me, take those two out of it. You have a hell of a pro class you know, to watch it. It's any, it's one of like six guys race. If, if, um, you know, if Weenan and Hetrick came out, it'd be something to watch right now. The one dimension that, that most people don't see is there's an ACE in that group. Yeah. You could be anybody that's going to rise. And what happens is internally you get those few wins under your belt. And once you've doused yourself with that, for lack of a better word, that drug of winning, you will never go back. And that individual, once you get a taste of it. Yeah. That individual rise to the top and will be the harder guy to beat. And there could be two, you know, I I don't think that Joel's getting beat because of anything other than the fact that Chad's just a little smarter. He's a little more seasoned and I shouldn't smarter is the wrong word. He's more seasoned. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I, you know, I can't, you know, I'm not going to tell Joel how to ride his quad, but I don't, I don't disagree. It's just, he's older. I mean, Wayne's older than Hedrick. So it's, uh, and he's got more experience. So you're, you're probably right. I don't disagree with that at all. You can race your whole life in the amateur levels and you learn a ton about how to ride a quad, but the day you step into the pro ranks, it is a whole new universe with a whole new set of rules and you're learning all over again. Oh yeah. Yeah. Class has started for whoever comes in. That's what I feel. Oh oh, yeah. What do you think of, what do you think of Max? Uh, He's right where I knew he'd be. I knew he'd be fast. Um, He, uh, you know, he rides with Ween and they have a really good relationship. Um, so a lot will rub off on Max, but, um, you know, he, he, he'll learn a lot from Chad. I mean, I I only was with Chad for a little while and even I learned a lot from him, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think he'll, he'll be good again. He'll be fast. He's got a ton of speed. Um, but you know, I don't know if you really just can't count anybody out. You think he's going to, I know where he stands, you know, he, as far as the points and stuff towards the end of the year, you know, I, I was having a stellar season with points. I was in second or third for a good portion of it. And then, um, I feel like I almost threw it away between two crashes I had 
And then everybody caught back up in points. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from Max at all, but I shouldn't have been battling with him for points coming into the last race from what I did to myself mid season, where I feel like I just threw it away, but, um, he's no slouch. Um, I don't see him as a slouch. I definitely see him as a, as a threat to the top group, but, um, you know, like anything else, I'm always going to give it my all. And I, uh, I know where he's at now. And even if I, I expect him to get better, but, um, I expect myself to get better as well. So I know what I'm in for coming into next season. But as far as him, he's a, he's a talented racer. He's a good kid. That's good, uh, information there. Uh, are you going to go to Florida to train soon? Yeah, I'm actually, I'm loaded up now. I'm actually leaving at uh, six in the morning tomorrow to go down to Florida. Um, only for about five days, you know, I'm big into the pit bike and pit quad riding, as you know, and then Decker training facility, um, which was the old County line in Mexican Florida. Uh, they're doing a pit bike race this Friday night that I'm hosting. I'm helping them run it. Um, so I'm bringing nineties down, but I'm bringing a four fifty down as well. So I'm going to do some, a little bit of riding while I'm there. Um, as far as the winter training, it's hard because, you know, I, I've, I have this track that I had got going recently and I run a private club out of my own personal track and I'm building a house right now on the same property. I have three and a half, four months left on a construction loan. And with a construction loan on a house, you have to finish in that time and have a CO at the end. And I can't miss that. And I have to have that finished. And my dad's not around to, to guide the project. My dad's not around to, um, to run the track while I'm away. So I, you know, it's what, the obstacles are in front of me right now and I have to deal with them. Um, what's good is my house. Like if the guys are working on my house, like they were all day today, I had three guys working, you know, they were finishing the framing, the electrical guys were in, um, the tracks on the same property, you know, so I can be up front of the house, go to the track in the back. Uh, the weather's not, I mean, the weather's cold, but it's a lot of it's mental to be honest with you. I, I love my track. I think it's great. Um, is down south better? Yeah, for weather, but there's something to be said about training by yourself too, which I've really liked recently. Um, really makes you work harder at your self-discipline because it's so easy to slack off when you have nobody pushing you um, and you're completely by yourself. You know, when you go and train with a bunch of other racers, it's almost easy to stay motivated. Very easy everyone's waking up every day. Everyone's doing their motos at the same time, but who can, who can train completely by themselves? Um, the ones who can do that, I feel like, um, that can really grow the, the personal side of the self-discipline within is the much harder task. But I think the end game, you come out, um, very mentally strong. If, if you can be successful, and stay consistent. And I learned that last year, you know, I, I, I worked my butt off all winter. It was freezing. I stayed home all winter. I had all the odds against me, but I know what I did every day, every day leading up to the race. 
and I had a phenomenal race in Daytona and I really had my best year. I had two podiums. I really feel like I should have had four of them. Um, but I, you know, I had great first motos and crashing the second motos, my fault. Um, there's a saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And being that that was my best season, I'm going to go back to what worked and I'm going to make it, um, I'm going to make it a little better. I'm just cause I had a good season here. I don't think I should go back to, um, to what I've always done. You know, I mean, how could you, well, I know, I know what works for me and I, I'm going to, I'm going to hit that road again. I agree with that. So you know? give me a little bit of insight. You don't need to give all your secrets away, but what is a, what does a day or two in your life of training look like? Um, my weeks are very inconsistent right now, personally in my life. Um, the last three months, um, have been hard. I feel like I've just taken on so many roles and went from the son of the house to the man of the house. And we have a big family and just, I feel like overwhelmed and I feel like I've taken on so many things in the last year or two in my life that I don't want to say I bit off more than I can chew, but I just, I have a lot going on in my personal life. And this house thing is, a uh, is tough for me. Um, you know, I've been working on this house for like two years and I'm getting close to the end. So some of the days I'm working at the house and riding in the same day. Um, some days I'm, I'm riding with other people at my track, a regular day in Nick Janus's life. If I were to go training and I didn't have any house stuff to do that day, or I didn't have any club members coming to ride. I would go ride, uh, in the morning. I like to get the day over. I don't want to say get it over with quick, but, um, there were sometimes I was riding after like two, three o'clock moto time. Then there was other days I was waking up early to like mock a race day, like qualifiers. I, um, I, I'm intentionally not consistent. So I can be ready for whatever. If I'm on the same schedule every day and I, I ride at 10 o'clock and I'm done by 12, then our, our race schedule, you know, come race day is, uh, you know, you're racing at three o'clock or two and four, and it's a very different feel. I try to, and, and I'll, and I'll mock a race day, but I'm always bouncing around, you know, kind of like you look at like a, a UFC fighter, they're not just going to practice jujitsu. One day they're going to practice their jujitsu. One day they're going to practice their boxing. One day they're going to do their wrestling or their Muay Thai. Like I, I try to touch it all and keep it revolving. If that makes sense, kind of hard to explain. Do you do any, um, body training, uh, without weights or free training like that? Or is, or, or is there some gym involved? There's a lot of gym involved almost uh, almost as much as riding, if not more, to be honest with you. Um, not a whole lot of weights. I do a lot of, you know, like my gym right now, um, as a treadmill, a nice spin bike, a skier machine, a rowing machine. Um, I do a lot of core stuff. I feel like it's important to have a strong core as a racer. Um, I've been getting into a lot of jump rope recently. I just think it's, um, it's a lot of coordination, especially when you get, um, pretty good at it. Um, it's, a it's different. I've been liking that a lot. Um, I'm big into running too. 
I like the running. A lot of people hate running and I've actually seemed to enjoy it. I'm a much better runner than I am cyclist, but, uh, it's a lot of, it's a lot of cardio, you know, going back to like my training days, I'm not one to, um, I'm not one to do uh two 20 minute motos like four or five days a week. I, I never have. And I mean, I'm not gonna say I never have, I have, um, but I know that I'm one of the strongest guys at the end of the motos. Um, I work, I work in a lot of different areas that I feel like some people may overdo. You know, it's not always about going out and putting in a perfect 20 minute moto. Sometimes your, your sprints, not, um, you're not sprinting fast enough in the beginning. I'm always changing it up. I can't say everything, but I'm always, I'm always changing it up in my training. It's it's I'm all over the place with it. And that's how I like it. It's kind of whatever I feel like I want to do that week and leading up to a race. Um, I like to come in prepared. Whether, do you, do you yeah. train up to the day you get in the car to drive away or do you take a rest day? No, I mean, what I did this past year is I would, I actually would ride a lot and I would ride, um, Saturday, Sunday, a week out from a race and the race is the upcoming Saturday. The previous Saturday, I would try to ride Saturday, Sunday. I'd ride pretty hard that Saturday, pretty hard Sunday. Um, take off Monday from the quad, me in the gym Tuesday, back on the quad, decently hard. And Wednesday, um, do some sprints, like maybe a few, like two or three, four lap motos. And that's it. Just get the heart rate going. Make sure I'm sharp still. Um, Thursday, you're driving the race Friday. Um, Friday, you're at the track and Saturday's race day. And I, I really like that a lot. A key for you in, in your race, the, one of the most important things is it corner speed or the ability to handle the rough? Um, I feel like, you know, if we're going to talk about the rough first, I feel like Weenan looking at someone like him and Joel have had great suspension programs in and around them, which really helps them. Now I have Casey Greek in my corner impact solutions. And I feel like that's been a good help. Um, but speed factor, there's no secret. It's corners. And that's anybody could tell you that not just for me, but in racing in general, all your speeds in the corners, we're all doing the same jumps. Um, you know, you can attack a section different, you know, there's time to be made up coming up the jumps. Sometimes I feel like there's racers that spend too much time trying to learn how to scrub a quad or how to stay lower. And like, you can, you're saving maybe 10% of the time you think you need, but you're 90% in that corner. Um, it's turns. There's always, always, always room for improvement in corners. Always. No matter who you are. Is there a specific way that you um, train people to get in corner speed? The way when I train people? Yeah. The way I, I'll usually take an existing racer when I train with them and I have to, I usually ride behind them for, you know, honestly, I could tell within a lap of what I feel like they're doing long, but I'll, I'll stay behind them for a few laps, let them get warmed up. Um, I can't even really pinpoint a generic answer. It depends on the rider because some people, um, some people might, I feel like just so many racers don't lean enough. If I'm going to pinpoint anything, they're just, they're kind of sitting neutral where 
Um, even if you're tall or it, it's mostly for the short guys where you really have to hang off that thing. You know, people let off coming into corners cause they're, you know, from like an amateur racer standpoint, they let off cause they feel like they're going to tip the quad. But if you were leaning more, you'd feel more planted. So you gotta, I mean, for a short guy like me or Joel, or you watch Josh Kramer years ago, I mean, they're hanging off, really hanging, excuse me, off their quad. Um, well, really the, depends on the racer. The old guys had three wheelers to teach him body English. Oh yeah. I mean, those things you were almost sitting on the ground. You had to. And I, I, I still believe that that is the best way to teach somebody at a turn. A three wheeler. I see. I rode one only maybe two or three times in my life, but I actually never brought one on a track. I would, I'm not afraid of it at all. I just, it, you know, the ones I rode weren't really up to par. I don't think that I would necessarily take you out on the track with it right away. I would just have you learning slow turns and then get it faster and faster at figure eights. Oh yeah. That'd be fun. I would do it. You know, I mean, you do, do small figure eights, big figure eights, and just learn how to move your body. Oh yeah. It, it's, it's just like I'm, I'm 55, so I'm not archaic, but I'm pretty damn close. Oh yeah. Stretching is the one thing that makes my life better. And it's the one thing that I do the least. So learning how to turn for people of moving their, their ass off the seat, you know, it, it's huge. Every person that I've worked with, that's the first thing that I do is, is, is teach them to move because it's very important. Oh, it's huge, huge. You know, yeah, the, the body position really is everything. Um, confidence is really everything too. You know, I struggled a long time with uh, committing to certain jumps. Maybe I had one or two accidents at a really young age that scared me. And I would feel like I was afraid to jump certain things for a while. And then um, just takes time. Some people are fearless and they stay fearless. And sometimes people never hit, never even end up hitting the jumps they, they wanted to. Um, everybody's different. You know, I think it's how far you're willing to push yourself is what it comes down to. And the training, you know, because I've trained with kids that... You know, I've trained with kids where their parents are more into it than them and the kid gets burnt out really quick. And, you know, from a, uh, from a pro rider standpoint now, I feel like, you know, if your kid's into racing, I'm not going to tell parents how to parent, but gotta let the kids enjoy it, you know, cause you got into the sport cause you enjoyed it. And, um, I've seen a lot of kids come out of the sport because their parents were so hard on them at a young age, really, really aggressive. And I look back at my dad and whenever I didn't want to do a jump, he never told me to do it. And he just didn't say anything or is whatever, whenever I was ready. And, you know, maybe if my dad was really hard on me and started screaming at me or yelling at me it, at a young age, it probably would have really got to me and burnt me out. And we would have found out it wasn't for us. And I think, you know, it, for kids, it comes when it comes, you know, I, I think that's for adults too. I mean, I've known pro racers that didn't want to do that double for whatever reason. Don't they, get me wrong. I mean, there I'm, we'd all be lying if we said we weren't scared of quite a few, but um, we have to now, you know, if I'm in qualifying and the top three guys or the top two are hitting something, you have to do it. And we come across maybe two jumps a year that are like that. And some of them are just, ones I really don't want to do, but you just have to, you know, 
what do you do mentally to prepare yourself for that? Trust my, uh, trust my, my own judgment. Um, you know, I'm not going to say it doesn't work out, but sometimes I end up coming up really short or messing up the jump that I thought about a lot. Um, I've done better when I just go for it. Um, I'm not, I don't want to give that advice out, but to amateurs, but me personally, when I just really, I saw a guy in the beginning of qualifying hit something and I just did it the next lap and just gave it my best judgment. Um, I've had knock on wood, my best luck with stuff like that. You know, it's, it's hard. I think the more you look at something, the harder it gets, but some people are the opposite. Sometimes they need to roll something 10 times until they know. And when they end up hitting it perfect, you can't even knock them because they ended up hitting it perfect that time. You know, I, you know what I'm anybody that's going to go out there and air it out. I'm never going to knock them because that's not something I do. This is a sport where I feel like there's a lot of real, there's not a lot of right and wrong. Like the, it's proven that, different ages can win championships, different body sizes can win championships, different manufacturers can win championships, different strategies can win championships. You know, this is, it's all on you. And that's why it's an interesting sport. Speaking of manufacturers, have you always ridden the brand that you're on now? No, no, I've ran, um, Uh, when I got into 450 racing, I was on a Honda and then I was on a Can-Am 2013. I actually got picked up by them for a year. Uh, that was really cool. And uh, 2014, I was with Chad and stuck with Yamaha in 15, 16, 17. I had a private deal to go back with Honda through 17 and 18. And then 19, 20, 21, on the Yamaha again. And I, I like the Yamaha. I, I don't think obviously we have much of an option, but I really do enjoy the quad a lot. I think somebody would be stupid to not be on one right now because everything else is very outdated. And I, that's the machine to be on. In my opinion, they really are great. I think there, there could be other great manufacturers if they were out there. Um, but if you're in a to be racing right now, that's the bike you got to be on when it comes to a production class in the motocross in the motocross. Correct. I mean, I would say GNCC too. I mean, yeah. You know. Cause they're pretty dominant there. Yeah. I mean, you almost have to be, you know, you know, we think about like Hetrick, um, they got away from the Hondas, um, to eliminate the mechanical issues. And, uh, Joel didn't have one mechanical issue that gave, that gave him a DNF this year. He had the accident at Daytona that gave him a DNF, but, on the quad standpoint, that quad finished every race and that's the quad you got to be on, you know, yeah, so, you know what I mean? It's, it's the only, the only manufacturer right now it's making them and, and parts and, um, aftermarket parts, engine work, everything's improving every year. I mean, they're getting really far advanced. Um, some things are getting really expensive too. Um, just, uh, everything is which I see. <laughs> well, they are trying to extract more and more power out of them, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think we're at the point where you can only make them so fast. And a lot of these guys are working on these different ECUs that are almost like the, uh, oh, uh, what is it? It's not like the, 
street bikes, but they, they have almost like a traction control on them, like a whole shot. You know, you push the button like a dirt bike, um, like how a dirt bike has whole shot mode. And um, they're making those now for the quads. They're aftermarket, but I mean, those are a pretty penny add-on that uh, it's not making our sport cheaper, but it's it's how a sport evolves, you know? So it's definitely how it evolves. I, I get it. I totally get it. I mean, <clears throat> I know that the 250R wasn't as high tech as the fuel injected Yamaha, but think of the things that the advancements that we made with it, you know, over its lifespan, you know, and they're still making. Actually, we're so far advanced for their time. Um, I had the opportunity to ride one. Uh, yeah, you saw me riding a 250R. I think it was like a two. 65 or whatever it was. It was glued for Rip It Up Films, his personal one. Um, I personally didn't think it was very fast at all. I think our quads are way faster now. Um, but I could not believe how good the handling was for its time. It was incredible. Um, it was it was phenomenal. I, I if that thing had a faster motor, I, I could be pretty dangerous on that thing in almost any class. <laughs> I really could be. Like if that had if that had like a hybrid engine, which they they have those, but the one I wrote was a two-stroke. That had a hybrid engine in it, it could be and, and the right shocks, that that quad is very capable. I was really impressed. Well, that changes the way that it works when you put the four-stroke motor in there and you add Wait. weight to it. Um the the yeah, the suspension was soft. It, I can you get the right people behind can have that thing dialed in real quick. You know, Brother, I, I get it. It, it, it. They were doing the same jumps that you're doing. Oh on yeah, the machines. Yep, and the same courses and the lap times are different. Your straight ahead drive with the four stroke motor is unbelievable compared to the two stroke. Yeah. I mean, I, I like the two stroke. I was, I wanted to jump this one jump in my track so bad. And I just, and I actually hit the jump on my stock quad 450 and I sized it up like six times. And I just right like midway in the straightaway, I just, it stopped pulling. Um, Cause it would have been a really big jump to hit on it. This uphill triple on my track. It's probably about a hundred feet. And again, I do it on my stock quad. It's wide open on my stock quad, but I barely make it on that. And I'm telling you, it was, I, I could have jumped it. It wasn't my quad. I would have came up short. I would have been fine if I cased it, but I didn't want to break something on it, but I definitely wouldn't have made it as far as I did on the, uh, on the other quad, but it, it was, was a, a little bit of, a little bit of work riding. A different oh yeah. Machine, yeah. I mean, they make faster big board kits for them. I think it was a slight, it was like a two sixty something, but the quad was really nice. It was, it was great condition, handled great. Um, it was fun. I went through a whoop section on it and I was actually really impressed. I think I was more impressed with the front than I was the back. I was just blown away how great it handled in the front, like the front end, you know, how, how big are you? I am five, seven, five, eight. I'm five, probably five, seven, um, weigh 150 pounds. You're perfect for the two stroke era size guy. Oh yeah. You know, oh yeah, you you would you would have fit, oh, it fit right me well. <laughs> it fit me well. Well, yeah, because all of the, I mean, other than Joe, I mean, Doug was a little taller than most, but Doug Gust, but Joe Bird, you know, Chad was a giant on him too. But he was rolling in at the end of those into the four strokes. 
Um, yep. but, um, and I met Joe when he was a, a much larger individual than he was when he raced. I mean, Joe and Weenan are like the same height. They're like six, three. It's, it's ridiculous. They're up there. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're a whole head taller than me. Well, you think about, they have to change the way they eat, the way they train because their body has to be leaner and lighter. It's just, it's, it's, I think it's harder for them comparatively. I think it's, I don't know. I, I'm not disagreeing with that. I think it's, it's different. I think it's harder for them in some areas and easier for them in other areas and vice versa. Where the small guy, the small guy, you know, we still got to watch what we eat, but I feel like we have to work harder physically a lot is, you know, we don't have the same weight to move around and that quad becomes a lot heavier when you're a lot lighter, you know, like I ride TRX nineties a lot and my height on a 90 is probably the same feeling Chad is on a 450, and you feel, no, it really is like all jokes aside, like comparison, it, it really probably is. And I feel, I honestly, like, I don't feel that big on one. I just feel like so dominant of like a perfect height for that mini quad that my confidence level is so high because of how I can get my weight around. And I think to myself a lot, like this is how Chad probably feels on the 450 where I get on a 450 and it's not that I feel small for it, but I just, I don't have that leverage, um, like a 90. Um, I think that's, I think that's as good of a comparison as I can make it. <laughs> well, that's, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit predictions for where you think things are going to roll out next year. Oh, that's always a tough one. Um, well, I mean, you know, we read recently that Wesley Wolf, um, you know, who was a podium contender twice last year, he was up there a lot. Kid's got a lot of talent. He's fast. Um, he just announced he's not racing the whole season, which, uh, which it sucks because, you know, we don't want the pro class smaller than what it is. Um, you know, people think it's great. Oh, you know, some of your competition is not racing. It's, it's good, but it's not good. You know, you want competition. It, it betters the whole class. It betters the show. Um, I don't wish upon anyone to miss a season due to an injury. You know, he had that injury in August. And I saw him at the banquet and the banquet's three and a half months later and he had a surgeries already. And uh, I almost was not surprised to see that because at the banquet, he was showing me the movement in his wrist and it was so minimum. And I'm thinking to myself, Loretta's was so long ago and I know we're in November and you have till March, but this thing is like glass still. You know, your whole arm, it's almost almost like his accident was bad as like Ken Roxon's years ago, where his arm was just destroyed. Um, And can he come back? Ken Roxon came back, you know, from however many surgeries he had. Um, Wesley absolutely can come back. He had, uh, he's a young guy. He's got a good drive, you know. All right, well, going back to it, him out, you know, Max Lindquist, I guess he must have crashed recently broke his collarbone. Um, not really sure what happened with that. Um, cause I know he crashed at the last race at Briarcliff, but 
I don't think he broke his collarbone there. I think he jacked up his shoulder. So he must've crashed, but I don't count him out. I mean, I still think he'll be right there. He'll be riding before he knows it. I mean, you know, I broke a collarbone. It sucks, but it's, um, it's a little bit easier of an injury than like what Wolf is going through right now. Um, I'm not counting Max out either. I think it's going to be, you can't say, you know, I mean, Rastrelli's racing again, Ford's racing again. You know, I am, it's, you know, I, I still think the top two, you know, in my honest opinion, the top two stay where they are, but the third place is closer to the top two, like kind of like you said, and it'll continue to get closer. And I want a podium at Daytona to be realistic. And I have the, you know, I got a second there last year and I think there's things I could have even been better on. And I know what to target this year. Um, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm, predict, I'm predicting another good um, first race out of myself to be on, to be how I personally think and what I want. And I, it's by any means, no walk in the park, no easy tasks. Um, but I know where I stand and um, that's what I feel. I think there's going to be a new top spot on the podium, a new guy on the podium on the top. Mm-hmm. I really believe that, that those two have dominated all of them. I just have that feeling that, that there's going to be somebody new on the box. If somebody else won a moto <laughs> over them, it would be insane right now. Um, it's coming. It's coming. Yeah. I mean, the, I straight up, you know, I'm not talking, I'm not going to say a mud race. Like like they count, but they they don't count in my opinion. Like it's so not what the, it's so not that. Let let me, let me interrupt that thought. Okay. And I'm just going to tell you a little brief story and then we can go back to it. So I went to South America and raced the Dakar rally with Rafael Sonic, the FIM cross country world champion. and. I bitched about a portion of the race. It's called a liaison. It's just the drive to the start line and the drive from the finish line to the bivouac. And I bitched, oh, that's not part of and, and if you sit back and you think about it, it doesn't matter. The race is the race in the format that it is. If it's muddy, it's muddy for everybody. If it's dry and dusty, it's dry and dusty. If you got a freaking two-hour section of asphalt before you get to the start line, I'm sorry. That's what it is. Accept the terms of the event and ride it for what it is. And yes, it all counts. Yeah, I mean, racing is racing. Um, I just feel like some of our tracks, you know, can get so extremely one-lined. Um, you know. I feel uh, I'm. I'll make a prime example. Myself, the end of the season, um, first moto at Briarcliff stock class. I got the whole shot. I think I won over by Chad, twenty and thirty seconds over Chad and Joel. Could I have done that in a dry race? No, probably not. Uh, I I still think I could have given them a good run. I might have been able to win it, but that gap was not would have been twenty seconds over them. It's just it's so everything changes, you know, it's, I, 
it's, it's just anybody's race and it, it really levels the playing field, but going back to the moto thing to beat one of those two straight up right now, um, to be both of them and actually take a moto at the an entire 20 minute length moto, whoever it is better be getting pats on the back from everybody. Cause that is no easy task against those two. And I think it can happen. Um, I, I, I think it's going to happen anywhere. I think it's going to happen at Daytona. That's the place it'll happen. Um, it's Joel's nemesis and Chad is not tentative there, but he's not rolling into full race form at, at yet. Yeah. I think like if someone's going to be and get the actual win, I think it's round one for just the type of race it is. Favorite place to race. Oh man, it changes. It changes. You know, there was years I liked Daytona. There was years I hated Daytona. I liked it last year, not because I had a good race. I would tell you before the even main event, I liked it. Um, but that track's different every year. I used to like Unadilla a lot, and I haven't been really liking it recently. But we're not going back there. Um, you know, Redbud is is okay. I like Sunset Ridge. Sunset Ridge is like a real racetrack to me. It's rough. It's got double lines everywhere. Tons of passing. Like I love ATV tracks that have tons of passing. Um, you know, even high point, there's not a lot of inside rollers, but the hard pack factor makes the track pretty wide and the passing's interesting. Um, I gotta say, I mean, any track this year, I'd say the best one we had in 2021 was sunset Ridge. Um, and I didn't even do, I mean, I got third in moto one, I crashed moto two, but that was a good track. They do a great job and they, they know how to prep it for a quad race. There's passing everywhere. Your opinion of the stock class going away. I could take it or leave it. Um, I don't know where to start with it. I mean, I think, uh, uh, you know, if, if it was still happening, I still wouldn't be racing it this next year. I will not deny it, that that class was extremely fun. It was a blast. The racing was absolutely close. I mean, I was able to take, like I said, wins away from Ween in, in motos and wins away from Hetrick. And I can't do that yet in the pro class. Um, it, it definitely levels the field a lot more. It's fun. Um, but I feel like the fun just got taken out of it from all the issues that we don't have to get into that everybody knows about, you know, just it, it became less fun. It became more of an issue. Um, you know, the only way to settle a class like that is for a factory Yamaha to show up with the track and you pick the number out of the hat and that's the bike you're getting. And the bikes go home with them because there's a lot of, you know, it's a stock class, but there are a lot of things you could do to those quads. Um, and the whole point of that class was to keep the cost down. So when you really look at the amount of stuff you could put into that quad, you're at, you're at like four or $5,000 in add-ons any day of the week with, between everything. It, it really is that much. And I feel like it should have been more stock than it was. There's just, you know, just cause there's no engine work and stock shocks and, a arms stock, swing arm stock, 
a lot of little stuff you could do. Um, you know, so some of it was safety stuff. Like I agree. You got to have a steering stabilizer. Um, I don't know. It's, uh, everybody bashed a class, but when they took it away, you look at the social media and everyone's complaining that they took it away. You know, you, you could never win on the internet. You know, everyone knows everything. Everyone's tough behind the computer screen, but it's, I don't know. I mean, I don't have much to say about it. It, it doesn't affect me. Um, if, if it stayed, it stayed. If not, I'm not losing sleep over it. Um, I think something will come back eventually similar to that. I hope I, so. I mean, it was fun. I hope it does. I think it helps promote the sport. So are we going to yeah. see you come out West? Oh, I'd love to. I would. I have to figure out how I make it happen. The only West ish race I do is Texas. And that's, that's East of you. You know, I mean, that's uh that's a whole trip to come out there. Um, I feel like I could have the connections to do it. You know, Glenn Helen and, um, I feel like I've got to ride there in a lifetime in, in my lifetime. I have watched it forever, just videos. And that first turn, um, it's something, you know, Hedrick had the opportunity to go there for a works race and it looked fun. He, it was a great race. It was a lot of fun. Um, I would love to, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm, it's not I'm, the plans, but I would love to, I'm not against it at all. I'm not a fan of Glen Helen. I've never had good luck there. Okay. Ever. I mean, it's, I, I just, the pictures and the elevation looks cool. <laughs> You know, from a, from a rider standpoint, because yep. on the East Coast, we don't have, you know, have hills like that. Like we do, but we don't, you know, that it, landscape is is something else. And in, in, in pictures, it looks big. In videos. It is. And that whole shot is like no other from videos. It, it, it It's not like any other. That first turn is, is pretty cool. It, it, it's not as intimidating as you think it is when the green. Uh, yeah. It's just um, your fifth gear, though. And it's wide. Yep. And they all funnel into a, a two, like a two lane inside, outside going around the next turn. Um, so it's, it's pretty cool. Um, I just have never had any luck at that race facility. Um, my favorite place to race is Havasu. Well, yeah, it's just brutally ugly and beat you to death and, uh, hard on your machine, but it, it's a fun place to race. Yeah. I like tracks like that too. I mean, there, there are some tracks that are really hard packed smooth that I like that can be great for racing. And there's other ones I like that are rough. It's just, it's two different um, sides of the spectrum. That I like, well, if you ever get a chance to come out make sure to hit me up, I'll oh, do everything I can to help you out and uh, make sure that you have a good experience Absolutely. At, at the work series. Cause I, uh, I really enjoy it. And um, I'm trying to head your guys's way this year. Why don't you try to make it out to uh, that Texas race? Did you look at that or is that? Is Chad, is, Chad brought it up to me five or six months ago. And we are, we are doing everything in our power to make that happen. It's a, um, you know, it's far for me. And that race is even farther now at three palms, but three palms MX is, um, it, it makes the drive worth it. It's a, it's a really cool facility. It's, it's beautiful. It's right. Like it's attached to the, uh, the highway there. I mean, it, it's a pretty cool location and the track. I actually really like the track, you know, there's no elevation at all, but it's Sandy and it's rough. There's a lot of passing. 
I almost don't even care what the quad track is. Like if a quad track has huge jumps that are 30 feet tall versus three feet tall, I honestly don't care. I, I only look at the passing. If it has great passing for a racetrack, I love it. No matter how rough or how hard pack it is. I just, I don't like tracks that are follow the leader, you know, as the race spreads out and there's no passing. I just, I like a racetrack where you can get a spot and lose it just as easy. I just, I like that. That's, that's what it's all about. Oh yeah. Nick, I want to thank you so much for coming on ATV talk. It was my honor and my pleasure to have you. I'd love to come back on again sometime. I was just getting ready to extend the invitation. Um, (laughs) Now you got my cell number. (laughs) Exactly. I wish you well with the family. Um, Your the ATV family is always looking out for its own. And I know that there's a lot of people looking out for you and, and thinking about you and, and wishing you guys well. So that being said, again, thank you so much for coming on ATV talk. The team here at ATV talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATV San Diego's body evolution and wellness center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industry building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.